0: Volume two, chapter ten of the Seaboard Parish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock. The Seaboard Parish by George Macdonald. Chapter Ten: The Old Castle. The place Turner had chosen suited us all so well, that after attending to my duties on the two following Sundays at Kilkhaven, I returned on the Monday or Tuesday to the farmhouse. But Turner left us in the middle of the second week, for he could not be longer absent from his charge at home, and we missed him much. It was some days before Connie was quite as cheerful again as usual. I do not mean that she was in the least gloomy, that she never was. She was only a little less merry. But whether it was that Turner had opened our eyes, or that she had visibly improved since he allowed her to make a little change in her posture, certainly she appeared to us to have made considerable progress, and every now and then we were discovering some little proof of the fact. One evening, while we were still at the farm, she startled us by calling out suddenly, Papa, Papa, I moved my big toe. I did indeed. We were all about her in a moment, but I saw that she was excited and fearing a reaction I sought to calm her. But, my dear, I said as quietly as I could, you are probably still aware that you are possessed of two big toes. WHICH OF THEM ARE WE TO CONGRATULATE ON THE FIRST STRIDE IN THE MARCH OF IMPROVEMENT? SHE BROKE OUT IN THE MERRIEST LAUGH. A PAUSE FOLLOWED IN WHICH HER FACE WORE A PUZZLED EXPRESSION. THEN SHE SAID ALL AT ONCE, PAPA, IT IS VERY ODD, BUT I CAN'T TELL WHICH OF THEM, AND BURST INTO TEARS. I WAS AFRAID THAT I HAD DONE MORE HARM THAN GOOD. IT IS NOT OF THE SLIGHTEST CONSEQUENCE, MY CHILD, I SAID you have had so little communication with the twins of late that it is no wonder you should not be able to tell the one from the other she smiled again through her sobs but was silent with shining face for the rest of the evening our hopes took a fresh start but we heard no more from her of her power over her big toe as often as i inquired she said that she was afraid she had made a mistake For she had not had another hint of its existence. Still I thought it could not have been a fancy, and I would cleave to my belief in the good sign. Percival called to see us several times, but always appeared anxious not to intrude more of his society upon us than might be agreeable. He grew in my regard, however, and at length I asked him if he would assist me in another surprise which I meditated for my companions, and this time for Connie as well, and which I hoped would prevent the painful influences of the sight of the sea from returning upon them when they went back to Kilkhaven. They must see the sea from quite a different shore first. In a word I would take them to Tintagel, of the near position of which they were not aware although in some of our walks we had seen the ocean in the distance an early day was fixed for carrying out our project and i proceeded to get everything ready the only difficulty was to find a carriage in the neighbourhood suitable for receiving connie's litter in this however i at length succeeded and on the morning of the glorious day of blue and gold we set out for the little village of Trevenna, now far better known than at the time of which I write. Connie had been out every day since she came, now in one part of the fields, now in another, enjoying the expanse of earth and sky, but she had had no drive and consequently had seen no variety of scenery. Therefore, believing she was now thoroughly able to bear it, I quite reckoned of the good she would get from the inevitable excitement. We resolved, however, after finding how much she enjoyed the few miles' drive, that we would not demand more of her strength that day, and therefore put up at the little inn, where, after ordering dinner, Percival and I left the ladies and sallied forth to reconnoiter. We walked through the village and down the valley below sloping steeply between hills towards the sea the opening closed at the end by the blue of the ocean below and the more ethereal blue of the sky above but when we reached the mouth of the valley we found that we were not yet on the shore for a precipice lay between us and the little beach below on the left a great peninsula of rock stood out into the sea upon which rose the ruins of the keep of tintagel while behind on the mainland stood the ruins of the castle itself connected with the other only by a narrow isthmus we had read that this peninsula had once been an island and that the two parts of the castle were formerly connected by a drawbridge looking up at the great gap which now divided the two portions it seemed at first impossible to believe that they had ever been thus united but a little reflection cleared up the mystery the fact was that the isthmus of half the height of the two parts connected by it had been formed entirely by the fall of portions of the rock and the soil on each side of the narrow dividing space through which the waters of the atlantic had been wont to sweep and now the fragments of walls stood on the very verge of the precipice and showed that the large portions of the castle itself had fallen into the gulf between we turned to the left along the edge of the rock and so by a narrow path reached and crossed to the other side of the isthmus we then found that the path led to the foot of the rock formerly island of the keep and thence in a zigzag up the face of it to the top we followed it and after a great climb reached a door in a modern battlement entering we found ourselves amid grass and ruins haggard with age we turned and surveyed the path by which we had come it was steep and somewhat difficult but the outlook was glorious It was indeed one of God's mounts of vision upon which we stood. The thought, oh, that Connie could see this, was swelling in my heart when Percival broke the silence, not with any remark on the glory around us, but with the commonplace question. You haven't got your man with you, I think, Mr. Walton. No, I answered. We thought it better to leave him to look after the boys.' He was silent for a few minutes while I gazed in delight. Don't you think, he said, it would be possible to bring Miss Constant up here? I almost started at the idea and had not replied before he resumed. It would be something for her to recur to with delight all the rest of her life. It would indeed, but it is impossible. I do not think so. If you would allow me the honour to assist you, I think we could do it perfectly between us. I was again silent for a while, looking down at the way we had come. It seemed an almost dreadful undertaking. Percival spoke again. As we shall come here to-morrow, we need not explore the place now. Shall we go down at once and observe the whole path? with a view to the practicability of carrying her up. There can be no objection to that, I answered, as a little hope and courage with it began to dawn in my heart. But you must allow it does not look very practicable. Perhaps it would seem more so to you if you had come up with the idea in your head all the way as I did. Any path seems more difficult in looking back than at the time when the difficulties themselves have to be met and overcome. Yes, but then you must remember that we have to take the way back, whether we will or no, if we once take the way forward. True, and now I will go down with the descent in my head as well as under my feet. Well, there can be no harm in reconnoitering it, at least. Let us go. "'You know we can rest almost as often as we please,' said Percival, and turned to lead the way. It certainly was steep, and required care even in our own descent, but for a man who had climbed mountains, as I had done in my youth, it could hardly be called difficult, even in middle age, by the time we had got again into the valley-road I was all but convinced of the practicability of the proposal. I was a little vexed, however, I must confess, that a stranger should have thought of giving such a pleasure to Connie, when the bare wish that she might have enjoyed it had alone arisen in my mind. I comforted myself with the reflection that this was one of the ways in which we were to be weaned from the world and knit the faster to our fellows for even the middle-aged in the decay of their daring must look for the fresh thought and fresh impulse to the youth which follow at their heels in the march of life their part is to will the relation and the obligation and so by love too and faith in the young keep themselves in the line along which the electric current flows till at length they too shall once more be young and daring in the strength of the lord a man must always seek to rise above his moods and feelings to let them move within him but not allow them to storm or gloom around him by the time we reached home we had agreed to make the attempt and to judge by the path of the foot of the rock which was difficult in parts whether we should be likely to succeed without danger in attempting the rest of the way and the following descent as soon as we had arrived at this conclusion i felt so happy in the prospect that i grew quite merry especially after we had further agreed that both for the sake of her nerves and for the sake of the lordly surprise, we should bind Connie's eyes so that she should see nothing till we had placed her in a certain position, concerning the preferableness of which we were not of two minds. "'What mischief have you two been about?' said my wife, as we entered our room in the inn, where the cloth was already laid for dinner." "'You look like two schoolboys that have been laying some plot "'and can hardly hold their tongues about it.' "'We have been enjoying our little walk amazingly,' I answered, "'so much so that we mean to set out for another "'the moment dinner is over. "'I hope you will take Winnie with you then. "'Or you, my love,' I returned. "'No, I will stay with Connie. "'Very well, you and Connie too shall go out tomorrow.' "'for we have found a place we want to take you to. "'And, indeed, I believe it was our anticipation "'of the pleasure you and she would have "'in the view that made us so merry "'when you accused us of plotting mischief.' "'My wife replied only with a loving look "'and a dinner appearing at this moment. "'We sat down at a happy party. "'When that was over, and a very good dinner it was, "'just what I like. Homely in material, but admirable in cooking, Winnie and Percival and I set out again for as Percival and I came back in the morning, we had seen the church standing far aloft and aloof on the other side of the little valley, and we wanted to go to it. It was rather a steep climb, and Winnie accepted Percival's offered arm. I led the way, therefore, and let them follow. Not so far in the rear, however, but that I could take a share in the conversation. It was some little time before any arose, and it was Winnie who led the way into it. "'What kind of things do you like best to paint, Mr. Percival?' she asked. He hesitated for several seconds, which, between a question and an answer, looked so long that most people would call them minutes. I would rather you should see some of my pictures i should prefer that to answering your question he said at length but i have seen some of your pictures she returned pardon me indeed you have not miss walton at least i have seen some of your sketches and studies some of my sketches none of my studies but you have made use of your sketches for your pictures do you not never of such as you have seen. They are only a slight antidote to my pictures. I cannot understand you. I do not wonder at that. But I would rather, I repeat, say nothing about my pictures till you see some of them. But how am I to have that pleasure, then? You go to London sometimes, do you not?" Very rarely. More rarely still when the Royal Academy is open. THAT DOES NOT MATTER MUCH, MY PICTURES ARE SELDOM TO BE FOUND THERE, DO YOU NOT CARE TO SEND THEM THERE? I SEND ONE, AT LEAST, EVERY YEAR, BUT THEY ARE RARELY ACCEPTED. WHY? THIS WAS A VERY IMPROPER QUESTION, I THOUGHT, BUT IF WINNIE HAD THOUGHT SO, SHE WOULD NOT HAVE PUT IT. HE HESITATED A LITTLE BEFORE HE REPLIED. IT IS HARDLY FOR ME TO SAY WHY, HE ANSWERED. But I cannot wonder much at it, considering the subjects I choose. But I dare say he added in a lighter tone, after all, that has little to do with it, and there is something about the things themselves that precludes a favourable judgment. I avoid thinking about it. A man ought to try to look at his own work as if it were none of his, but not as with the eyes of other people. That is an impossibility, and the attempt a bewilderment. It is with his own eyes he must look, with his own judgment he must judge. The only effort is to get it set far away enough from him to be able to use his own eyes and his own judgment upon it. I think I see what you mean. A man has but his own eyes and his own judgment. To look with those of other people's is but a fancy, quite so. You understand me quite," he said. No more in explanation of his rejection by the academy, till we reached the church. Nothing more of significance passed between them. What a waste! Bare churchyard that was. It had two or three lych gates, but they had no roofs. They were just small enclosures with the low stone tables to rest the living from the weight of the dead, while the clergyman as the keeper of the heavens wardrobe came forth to receive the garments they restored to be laid aside as having ended its work as having been worn done in the winds and rain and labours of the world not a tree stood in that churchyard hank grass was the sole covering of the soil heaped up with the dead beneath what blast from the awful space of the sea must rush athwart the undefended garden. The ancient church stood in the midst, with its low, strong, square tower, and its long, narrow nave. The ridge bowed with age, like the back of a horse worn out in the service of man, and its little homely chancel, like a small cottage that had leaned up against its end for shelter from the western blasts. It was locked, and we could not enter. But of all world-worn, sad-looking churches, that one, sad even in the sunset, was the dreariest I had ever beheld. Surely it needed the gospel of the resurrection fervently preached therein, to keep it from sinking to the dust with dismay and weariness. Such a soul alone could keep it from vanishing utterly of dismal old age. Near it was one huge mound of grass-grown rubbish, looking like the grave where some former church of the dead had been buried. When it could stand erect no longer before the onsets of the Atlantic winds, I walked round and round it, gathering its architecture and peeping in at every window I could reach. Suddenly I was aware that I was alone. Returning to the other side, I found that Percival was seated on the churchyard wall, next the sea. It would have been less dismal had it stood immediately on the cliffs, but they were at some little distance beyond bare downs and rough stone walls. He was sketching the place, and Winnie stood beside him, looking over his shoulder. I did not interrupt him, but walked among the graves, reading the poor memorials of the dead, and wondering how many of the words of laudation that were inscribed on their tombs were spoken of them while they were yet alive. Yet, surely, in the lives of those to whom they applied the least, there had been moments when the true nature, the nature God had given them, broke forth in faith and tenderness, and would have justified the words inscribed on their gravestones. I was yet wandering and reading and stumbling over the mounds, when my companions joined me, and, without a word, we walked out of the churchyard. We were nearly home before one of us spoke. "'That church is oppressive,' said Percival. It looks like a great sepulchre, a place built only for the dead—the church of the dead. It is only that it partakes with the living,' I returned suffer with them the buffetings of life outlast them but shows like the shield of the red cross Knight, the old dints of deep wounds still is it not a dreary place to choose for a church to stand in the church must stand everywhere there is no region into which it must not ought not to enter if it refuses any earthly spot It is shrinking from its calling here this one stands for the sea as for the land high uplifted looking out over the waters as a sign of the haven from all storms the rest in god and down beneath in its storehouse lies the bodies of men you saw the grave of some of them on the other side flung ashore from the gulfing sea it may be a weakness, but one would rather have the bones of his friends laid in the still sabbath of the churchyard earth than sweeping and swaying about as Milton imagines the bones of his friend Edward King in that wonderful Lucides. Then I told them the conversation I had had with the secton at Kilkhaven, But I went on. These fancies are only the ghostly myths that hang about the eastern hills before the sun rises. We shall look down on all that with a smile by and by, for the Lord tells us that if we believe in Him we shall never die." By this time we were back once more at the inn. We gave Connie a description of what we had seen. "'What a brave old church!' said Connie. The next day I awoke very early full of anticipated attempt. I got up at once, found the weather most promising, and proceeded first of all to look at Connie's litter and see that it was quite sound. Satisfied of this, I rejoiced in the contemplation of its lightness and strength. After breakfast, I went to Connie's room and told her that Mr. Percival and I had devised a treat for her. Her face shone at once, but we want to do it our own way. Of course, papa, she answered, will you let us tie your eyes up? Yes, and my ears and my hands, too. It would be no good tying my feet, when I don't know one big toe from the other. And she laughed merrily. We'll try to keep up the talk all the way, so that you shan't weary of the journey. "'You're going to carry me somewhere with my eyes tied up? "'Oh, how jolly, and then I shall see something all at once. "'Jolly, jolly, getting tired,' she repeated. "'Even the wind on my face would be pleasure enough for half a day. "'I shan't get tired so soon as you will, you dear, kind papa. "'I'm afraid I shall be dreadfully heavy, but I shan't jerk your arms much.' I will lie so still. And you won't mind letting Mr. Percival help me carry you?" No, why should I, if he doesn't mind it? He looks strong enough, and I'm sure he is nice, and won't think me heavier than I am. Very well, then, I will send Mamma and Winnie to dress you at once, and we shall set out as soon as you are ready." She clapped her hands with delight then caught me round the neck and gave me one of my own kisses as she called the best she had and began to call as loud as she could on her mamma and winnie to come and dress her it was indeed a glorious morning the wind came in little waifs, like veins of cool white silver amid the great warm yellow gold of the sunshine the sea lay before us a mound of blue closing up the end of the valley as if overpowered into quietness by the lordliness of the sun overhead and the hills between which we lay like great sheep with green wool basking in the blissful heat the gleam from the waters came up the pass the grand castle crowned the left hand steep seeming to warm its old bones like the runes of some awful megatherium in the lighted air, one white sail sped like a glad thought across the spandrel of the sea. The shadows of the rocks lay over our path like transient, cool, benignant deaths, through which we had to pass again and again to yet higher glory beyond and one lark was somewhere in whose little breast the whole world was reflected as in the convex mirror of a dewdrop, where it swelled so that he could not hold it but let it out again through his throat metamorphosed into music which he poured forth over all as the libation on the outspread altar of worship and all of this we talked to connie as we went and every now and then she would clap her hands gently in the fulness of her delight. Although she beheld the splendor only as with her ears, or from the kisses of the wind on her cheeks, but she seemed, since her accident, to have approached that condition which Milton represents Samson as longing for in his blindness, wherein the sight should be, through all parts diffused, that she might look at will, through every pore. I had, however, arranged with the rest of the company that the moment we reached the cliff over the shore and turned to the left to cross the isthmus, the conversation should no longer be about the things around us, and especially I warned my wife and Winnie that no exclamation of surprise or delight should break from them before Connie's eyes were uncovered. I had said nothing to either of them about the difficulties of the way, that, seeing us take them as ordinary things, they might take them so, too, and not be uneasy. We never stopped till we reached the foot of the peninsula, nay, island, upon which the keep of the Tintaggle stands. There we set Connie down, to take breath and ease our arms before we began the arduous way. "'Now, now,' said Connie eagerly, lifting her hands in the belief that we were on the point of undoing the bandage from her eyes. "'No, no, my love, not yet,' I said, and she lay still again, only she looked more eager than before. "'I am afraid I have tired out you and Mr. Percival, Papa,' she said. Percival laughed so amusedly. Then she rejoined roguishly oh yes i know every gentleman is a hercules at least he chooses to be considered one but notwithstanding my firm faith in the fact i have a little womanly conscience left that is hard to hoodwink there was a speech for my weak Connie to make the best answer and the best revenge was to lift her and go on This we did, trying as well as we might to prevent the difference of level between us from tilting the litter too much for her comfort. "'Where are you going, Papa?' she said once, but without a sign of fear in her voice, as a little slip I made lowered my end of the litter suddenly. "'You must be going up a steep place. Don't hurt yourself, dear Papa.' We had changed our positions and were now carrying her head foremost up the hill. Percival led and I followed. Now I could see every change on her lovely face, and it made me strong to endure, for I did find it hard work, I confess, to get to the top. It lay like a sunny pool, on which all the cloudy thoughts that moved in some unseen heaven cast exquisitely delicate changes of light and shade as they floated over it. Percival strode on as if he bore a feather behind him. I did wish we were at the top, for my arms began to feel like iron cables, stiff and stark, only I was afraid of my fingers giving way. My heart was beating uncomfortably, too. But Percival, I felt almost inclined to quarrel with him before it was over. He strode on so unconcernedly, turning every corner of the zigzag where I expected him to propose a halt, and striding on again, as if there could be no pretense for any change of procedure, but I held out, strengthened by the play on my daughter's face, delicate as the play on an opal, one that inclines more to the milk than the fire when at length we turned in through the Gothic door in the battlement wall and set our lovely burden down upon the grass. Percival, I said, forgetting the proprieties in the affected humour of being angry with him. So glad was I that we had her at length on the Mount of Glory. Why did you go on walking like a castle and pay no heed to me? You didn't speak, did you, Mr. Walton? he returned with just a shadow of solicitude in the question? No, of course not, I rejoined. Oh, then, he returned, in a tone of relief, how could I? You were my captain. How could I give in so long as you were holding on? I am afraid the Percival, without the mister, came again and again after this, though I pulled myself up for it as often as I caught myself. Now, papa, said Connie from the grass, not yet, my dear. Wait till your mamma and Winnie come. Let us go and meet them, Mr. Percival. Oh, yes, do, papa. Leave me alone here without knowing where I am or what kind of a place I am in. I should like to know how it feels. I have never been alone in all my life very well my dear i said and percival and i left her alone in the ruins we found ethelwyn toiling up with winnie helping her all she could dear harry she said how could you think of bringing connie up such an awful place i wondered you dared to do it it's done you see wife i answered thanks to mr percival who has nearly torn the breath out of me But now we must get you up, and you will say that to see Connie's delight, not to mention your own, is quite wages for the labor. Isn't she afraid to find herself so high up? She knows nothing about it yet. You do not mean you have left the child there with her eyes tied up? To be sure, we could not uncover them before you came. It would spoil half the pleasure. Do let us make haste, then. It is surely dangerous to leave her so not in the least but she must be getting tired of the darkness take my arm now don't you think mrs walton had better take my arm said Percival. and then you can put your hand on her back and help her a little that way we tried the plan found it a good one and soon reached the top The moment our eyes fell upon Connie we could see that she had found the place neither fearful nor lonely. The sweetest ghost of a smile hovered on her pale face, which shone in the shadow of the old gateway of the keep, with light from within her own sunny soul. She lay in such still expectation that you would have thought she had just fallen asleep after receiving an answer to a prayer reminding me of a little-known sonnet of Woodsworth in which he describes as the type of death, the face of one sleeping alone within a mossy cave, with her face up to heaven, that seemed to have pleasing remembrance of a thought foregone, a lovely beauty in a summer grave. But she heard our steps, and her face awoke. Is mamma come? Yes, my darling, I am here, said her mother. How do you feel? Perfectly well, mamma. Thank you. Now, Papa. One moment more, my love. Now. Percival. We carried her to the spot we had agreed upon, and while we held her a little inclined that she might see the better, her mother undid the bandage from her head. Hold your hands over her eyes, a little way from them, I said to her as she untied the handkerchief that the light might reach them by degrees and not blind her. Ethelwyn did so for a few moments, then removed them. Still, for a moment or two more, it was plain from her look of utter bewilderment that all was confused mass of light and color. Then she gave a little cry, and to my astonishment, almost fear, half rose to a sitting posture one moment more and she laid herself gently back and wept and sobbed and now i may admit my reader to a share though at best but a dim reflex in my poor words of the glory that made her weep through the gothic arched doors in the battlement wall which stood on the very edge of the precipitous descent so that nothing of the descent was seen and the door was a framework to the picture connie saw a great gulf at her feet full to the brim of a splendor of light and color before her rose the great ruins of rock and castle the ruins of rock with castle rough stone below clear green happy grass above even to the verge of the abrupt and the awful precipice over it the summer sky so clear that it must have been clarified by sorrow and thought AT THE FOOT OF THE ROCKS, HUNDREDS OF FEET BELOW, THE BLUE WATERS BREAKING IN WHITE UPON THE DARK GREY SANDS, ALL FULL OF THE GLADNESS OF THE SUN OVERFLOWING IN SPEECHLESS DELIGHT, AND REFLECTED IN FRESH GLADNESS FROM STONE AND WATER AND FLOWER, LIKE NEW SPRINGS OF LIGHT RIPPLING FORTH FROM THE EARTH ITSELF TO SWELL THE UNIVERSAL TIDE OF GLORY all this seen through the narrow gothic archway of a door in the wall up down on either hand but the main marvel was the look sheer below into the abyss full of light and air and colour its sides lined with rock and grass and its bottom lined with blue ripples and sand Was it any wonder that my Connie should cry aloud when the vision dawned upon her, and then weep to ease a heart ready to burst with delight? Oh, Lord God, I said, almost involuntarily, thou art very rich, thou art the one poet, the one maker, we worship thee. Make but our souls as full of glory in thy sight as this chasm is to our eyes, glorious with the forms which thou hast cloven and carved out of nothingness, and we shall be worthy to worship thee, O Lord our God. For I was carried beyond myself with delight, and with sympathy, with Connie's delight, and with the calm worship of gladness in my wife's countenance. But when my eye fell on Winnie, i saw a trouble mingled with her admiration a self-accusation i think that she did not and could not enjoy it more and when i turned from her there were the eyes of percivale fixed upon me in wonderment and for the moment i felt as david must have felt when in his dance of undignified delight that he had got the hark home again he saw the contemptuous eyes of michel fixed on him from the window. But I could not leave it so, I said to him, coldly, I dare say. "'Excuse me, Mr. Percival. I forgot for the moment that I was not amongst my own family.' Percival took his hat off. "'Forgive my seeming rudeness, Mr. Walton. I was half envying and half wondering.' You would not be surprised at my unconscious behavior if you had seen as much of the wrong side of the stuff as I have seen in London." I had some idea of what he meant, but this was no time to enter upon a discussion. I could only say, "'My heart was full, Mr. Percival, and I let it overflow.' "'Let me at least share in its overflow,' he rejoined and nothing more passed on the subject. For the next ten minutes we stood in absolute silence. We had set Connie down on the grass again, but propped up so that she could see through the doorway, and she lay in still ecstasy. But there was more to be seen ere we descended. There was the rest of the little islet with its crop of down grass on which the horses of all the knights of king arthur's round table might have fed for a week yes for a fortnight without by any means encountering the short commons of war there were the ruins of the castle so built of plates of the laminated stones of the rocks on which they stood and so woven in or more properly incorporated with the outstanding rocks themselves that in some parts I found it impossible to tell which was building and which was rock, the walls themselves seeming like a growth out of the island itself. So perfectly were they in harmony with, and in kind, the same as, the natural ground upon which and of which they had been constructed. And this would seem to me to be the perfection of architecture. THE WORK OF MAN'S HANDS SHOULD BE SO IN HARMONY WITH THE PLACE WHERE IT STANDS THAT IT MUST LOOK AS IF IT HAD GROWN OUT OF THE SOIL. BUT THE WALLS WERE IN SOME PARTS SO THIN THAT ONE WONDERED HOW THEY COULD HAVE STOOD SO LONG. THEY MUST HAVE BEEN BUILT BEFORE THE TIME OF ANY FORMIDABLE ARTILLERY, ENOUGH ONLY FOR DEFENSE FROM ARROWS. BUT THEN THE ISLAND WAS NOWHERE COMMANDED and its own steep cliffs would be more easily defended than any erections upon it. Clearly the intention was that no enemy should thereon find rest for the sole of his foot, for if he was able to land, farewell to the notion of any further defence. Then there was outside the wall the little chapel, such a tiny chapel, of which little more than the foundation remained with the ruins of the altar still standing and outside the chancel nestling by its wall a coffin hollowed in the rock then the churchyard a little way off full of graves which i presume would have vanished long ago were it not that the very graves were founded on the rock there still stood old worn-out headstones of thin slate but no memorials were left Then there was the fragment of arched passage underground laid open to the air in the centre of the islet, and last, and grandest of all, the awful edges of the rock broken by time and carved by the winds and the water into grotesque shapes and threatening forms. Over all the surface of the islet we carried Connie and from three sides of this sea-fortress she looked abroad over the atlantic's level powers it blew a gentle ethereal breeze on the top but had there been such a wind as i have since stood against on that fearful citadel of nature i should have been in terror lest we should all be blown into the deep over the edge she peeped at the strange fantastic needle rock and round the corner she peeped to see winnie and her mother seated in what they called arthur's chair a canopied hollow wrought in the plate rock by the mightiest of all solvents air and water till at length it was time that we should take our leave of the few sheep that fed over the place and issuing by the gothic door "'Wind away down the dangerous path to the safe ground below.' "'I think we'd better tie up your eyes again, Connie,' I said. "'Why?' she asked, in wonderment. "'There's nothing higher yet, is there?' "'No, my love. "'If there were, you would hardly be able for it today.' "'I should think—' "'It is only to keep you from being frightened at the precipice as you go down. "'But I shan't be frightened, Papa.' HOW DO YOU KNOW THAT? BECAUSE YOU ARE GOING TO CARRY ME. BUT WHAT IF I SHOULD SLIP? I MIGHT, YOU KNOW. I DON'T MIND. I SHAN'T MIND BEING TUMBLED OVER THE PRECIPICE IF YOU DO IT. I SHAN'T BE TO BLAME, AND I'M SURE YOU WON'T, PAPA. THEN SHE DREW MY HEAD DOWN AND WHISPERED IN MY EAR, IF I GET AS MUCH MORE BY BEING KILLED AS I HAVE GOT BY HAVING MY POOR BACK HURT, I'm sure it will be well worth it.' I tried to smile a reply, for I could not speak one. We took her just as she was and with some tremor on my part, but not a single slip. We bore her down the winding path, her face showing all the time that, instead of being afraid, she was in a state of ecstatic delight. My wife, I could see, was nervous however, and she breathed a sigh of relief when we were once more at the foot. "'Well, I'm glad that's over,' she said. "'So am I,' I returned, as we set down the letter. "'Poor Papa! I've pulled his arms to pieces, and Mr. Percival's too.' Percival answered first by taking up a huge piece of stone, then turning towards her. He said, "'Look here, Miss Connie.' and flung it far out from the isthmus on which we were resting. We heard it strike on a rock below, and then fall in a shower of fragments. My arms are all right, you see, he said. Meantime, Winnie had scrambled down to the shore where we had not yet been. In a few minutes we were still lingering. She came running back to us, out of breath with the news. Papa! Mr. Percival! "'There's such a grand cave down there. "'It goes right through under the island.' "'Connie looked so eager "'that Percival and I glanced at each other "'and without a word lifted her and followed Winnie. "'It was a little way that we had to carry her down, "'but it was very broken "'and insomuch more difficult than the other. "'At length we stood in the cavern. "'What a contrast to the vision overhead.' Nothing to be seen but the cool dark vault of the cave, long and winding, with the fresh seaweed lying on its pebbly floor, and its walls wet with the last tide, for every tide rolled through in rising and falling, the waters on the opposite side of the islet greeting through the cave, the blue shimmer of the rising sea, and the forms of huge outlying rocks looking in at the further end where the roof rose like a grand cathedral arch, and the green gleam of veins rich with copper, dashing and streaking the darkness in gloomy little chapels, where the floor of the heaped-up pebbles rose and rose within till it met the descending roof. It was like a going down from paradise into the grave, but a cool, friendly, brown-lidded grave, which even in the darkest recesses bore some witness to the wind of God outside, in the occasional ripple of shadowed light from the play of the sun on the waves that fleeted and reflected, wandered across its jagged roof. But we dared not keep Connie Long in the damp coolness, and I have given my reader quite enough of description for one hour's reading. He can scarcely be equal to more my invalids had now beheld the sea in such a different aspect that i no longer feared to go back to kilkhaven thither we went three days after and at my invitation percivale took turner's place in the carriage chapter ten